0: Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to LifePoint Church. How you guys doing? Woo! Yeah! You are awake and alive. That's what I'm talking about. It's so good to be here with all of my faith fam. If you are new to LifePoint Church or if you're a guest with us today, can I just say thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us. My name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And if we've never met, I would love an opportunity to get to meet you today after we walk through God's word together out in the lobby. But we're continuing our series today, Summer on the Mount, captured from the eyewitness account of Matthew as he shares what is probably considered to be the most famous teaching or collection of teachings from Jesus to those who follow him. And what Jesus is challenging us to do in this passage is is really difficult because it's like Jesus is wading waist deep into the reality of our world and he's calling us up to a greater standard of living, what honestly feels like an impossible standard of living. Like the words to his followers feel uncompromising, in some ways they feel unrealistic, Unachievable and honestly, just sometimes just confusing. And Jesus does this on purpose. I think he's pushing us to ask hard questions. Like, how do we answer Jesus' call when it does seem so impossible? How do we stay humble when our ego is starving for validation? How do we have a thirst for righteousness? How many of us would rather coast through life on autopilot rather than living intentionally? So many of us struggle when it comes to knowing how to deal with our anger, our secret thoughts, our habits, our dreams, our brokenness that makes us feel anything but perfect, anything but good, anything but pure. And so Jesus is introducing this perfect, impossible standard, what I would call the spirit of the law, in order to expose our spiritual slavery and the hypocrisy that so many of his listeners, so many of us that I think in this room end up actually walking in and through throughout our lives. And so in his sermon, Jesus is interpreting the Mosaic law according to the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And this is important because the law forbade murder, but Jesus goes on record saying that anger or mockery makes one guilty of murder. Now, how many of you guys today were driving with somebody in the car and you were angry? Jesus would look at you, shame, shame. I know your name. Why? Because the attitudes that produce murder first produce anger and contempt. The law forbade adultery, but Jesus said that a lustful look in the heart is adultery A man who never touches a woman other than his wife, but who indulges in sexual fantasies is obeying the letter of the law, meaning they're obeying by the rules, but they're not obeying by the spirit of the law. And according to Jesus, obeying the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law is not an option. So when Jesus says, he's asked, what is the most important commandment? He invokes the spirit of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, every Old Testament law and every standard of, Christ- of behavior for Christians can be summed up in these two commandments because they embody the spirit of the law. That is, these two commandments express the ultimate point of all of the other laws when you're abiding by them. And so Jesus, knowing our human weakness, knowing that we're not able to keep his instruction, the letter of the law, comes alongside us and says, use my strength, leverage a relationship with me, come alongside me and help me. I will help you through the spirit Walk alongside you to make sure you meet what it is that Jesus is asking of us, what it is that God is asking of us. And so Jesus isn't trying to sell us on following rules. Jesus is actually asking us to buy into relationship, not just with him, but also with others. And if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, then what we need to recognize is that God has always been after our heart, What we see with Jesus coming on the scene of history is that God wants our heart. That no matter what we do, no matter how many religious rules we follow, good deeds that we accomplish, we all fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, we can do good in moments, but it's impossible for us to sustain good through our lifetime. We can reach moments of perfection, but we cannot live there. We recognize that there must be more to this life, but the truth is we have no idea what to do with the holes that are in our heart. And so God comes down, entering humanity through Jesus, God in the flesh, to show how far he is willing to go to prove his love to us and the weight of our soul and how much it matters to him. We need help, we need hope, and with that in mind, Jesus says, come and follow me. There's no plausible or possible way to earn God's love, his salvation, or his grace. These are gifts given to us by a father in heaven through Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is not simply rules to follow. It's an invitation to live under the grace, experience the blessings, and have life abundant by living Christ-like a reality only possible through the supernatural grace of Jesus living within us. Without him, we can do nothing. It's all about who Jesus is and whose we are. It's all about who Jesus is and whose we are. And Jesus has come along to spur us along in our pursuit of the ideal, his ideal, even in the midst of our real. And Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to push you towards perfection by tomorrow, I just want you to make progress today. There's a framework that we can live our lives by that can bear fruit that is everlasting internally and externally. Jesus has come to inaugurate a kingdom of vision and values that goes beyond what our eyes can see, what our heart heart holds dear, and what our minds have been taught. And Jesus is saying, when you come to know me, you can be someone new a better version of yourself that you never knew was possible. And this is important for us to understand because the conversation that we're stepping into today I think is so relevant for so many of us in this room. Because no matter how much our world changes, the same human heart that was in humanity thousands of years ago is the same heart that's in me now. The landscape might be different. Things might appear different or better or more advanced. But it's the same broken, beating heart in me that was in them since the beginning of time. And we have to lean in because Jesus is going to frame our emotions and our feelings that we wrestle with in life that so often push against our faith in God. So we turn to Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Do not be anxious is the title of this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on, Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who would be considered unbelievers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Now, before some of us attempt to tune God out because we think we're not anxious, we aren't dealing with anxiety, I want to help us really grasp the depth of what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to take a magnifying class and start with the word anxious because I don't think Jesus is leaving anything up for our interpretation. You see, translations can be really tricky. And so this word in the Greek, in the Bible, depending on what Bible you're studying from, you're going to see right now worry or anxious. But the Greek word used here is merminau. Yeah, almost sounds like mermaid, but no, it doesn't. And you're gonna find this 17 times, 17 verses of the New Testament. And there's three words that encapsulate this idea. To be worried, to be anxious, and to care. And it's these three words together that we need to use to frame our understanding of what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. Because Jesus is saying that worry, anxiousness, and excessive care cause division and separation. Now, practically, practically, we know this is true, right? when, when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're excessively caring about something, have you noticed that we enter into this mental state where that person, place, thing, thought is what fully occupies our headspace? Heart, mind, and soul, it's what we're consumed with at the expense of everything else. That's a separation. All three of these words matter in context, So we're gonna look at them individually and then look at them collectively and see how they come together to make the impact that Jesus is making. So the first one is worry. Worry is a mental state characterized by thoughts focused on a specific threat, often verbalized as self-talk about potential negative outcomes. It commonly triggers problem solving and mild distress based on realistic concerns. Worry is typically controllable and temporary and it doesn't have to hinder our professional and personal functioning. Now, if you've ever been worried about something, you know that this statement is true. This is what Jesus is saying when he's talking about worry. What about anxiety? Anxiety is a visceral experience that permeates our entire body characterized by a vague, indescribable feeling in in a way you don't even know where it came from. It's almost like it blindsides you and you can't put your finger on its genesis. It involves both verbal thoughts and mental imagery. Unlike worry, anxiety feels unsolvable and creates intense emotional distress. And if you've ever dealt with anxiety before or anxiousness, you know this is true. So now let's look at care. Care is an expression of an earnest concern encompassing both positive and negative contexts it reflects genuine attention and consideration whether it be in fostering positive rela- relationships or addressing potential issues care demonstrates a deep sense of responsibility a desire to protect nurture or alleviate distress However, it can also manifest in negative ways when becoming excessive or overly intrusive, stifling independence or fostering unnecessary worthy. So what is Jesus saying? That care to the point of anxiety is contrary to faith in God. And how many things do we excessively care over within our own lives? You see how Jesus is touching everyone in the room with this statement. It's necessary that we give basic attention to having food and shelter. But the fact that the same word for care can also be translated to anxiety or worry shows that the line between care and worry or anxiety is mighty thin. Reasonable care can quickly turn awry, it can quickly go sour. When our desires are excessive, leading us to continually focus on our earthly existence instead of eternal life, we create holes within our souls. But the good news is that these are the same holes that Jesus compassionately addresses all throughout the gospels. The deep seated worries and anxieties that plagued men, women, and children of his day. Jesus could see their needs physically, but he knew what their souls needed spiritually. He went beyond merely just providing physical comfort and sought to awaken their spiritual understanding, which I think he wants to do for us today as well. Because worry and anxiety not only impact our physical well-being, they actually serve as reflections of spiritual health for us. It holds up a mirror. You see, our thoughts and actions are profoundly influenced by the condition of our heart and the values that we hold. our thoughts and actions are profoundly influenced by the condition of our heart and the values that we hold. Jesus is telling us to examine our emotions because our emotions are clues that reveal whom or what we truly worship or trust within our present life. And with this, Jesus is trying to gently expose, wake us up to the underlying values and thought patterns that are breeding anxiety and worry within our lives. Trying to wake us up to ask the question, why do I excessively care? His intention here is not to shame us, but to seek to invite us to place our trust in him as the ultimate creator and provider of our needs. And so when Jesus instructed his disciples on worry and anxiety, he's trying to share three perspectives with us. Three perspectives that I think help reveal how our emotions, if not handled correctly, can actually hinder our spiritual journey, our walk of faith with Jesus. Underscoring our need to be paying attention to what's happening with our heart, mind, and soul. Because while Jesus wants to alleviate our needs physically, he's really coming after our heart and working on us spiritually. He wants us to dig deeper to figure out what it is that we value and how to battle against the thoughts that we're working against in our life because faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. And how often do we find ourselves swayed by what we feel rather than trusting what we know is true? Like for instance, just because I'm hungry doesn't mean I need to eat. And I like to eat. Anybody feel me? Late night snacks, You know what I'm talking about. You're like, you feel like your body's crying out for sustenance. Mine does. And I'm like, nah, bro, I got some handles to last me a couple weeks. I'm going to be okay. But if I follow what I feel, rather than being intentional about how I live, I end up in places I didn't expect. Worry, anxiety, and excessive care reveal where we place our trust and have our priorities. And this is perspective number one. That my worry, anxiety, and excessive care reveal how my heart views God. This is big. How does your heart view God? Tim Keller, a pastor and a theologian wrote, worry is not believing God will get it right, and bitterness is believing God got it wrong. How we respond to life's troubles reflects how we view God and whether we trust who he is and how he is acting towards us. And Jesus is making the case that our worry, our anxiety, our excessive care are stemming from a heart of unbelief. And I know that it can be so hard at times for us to believe that God is acting in a good way towards us when our prayers go unanswered because we have an expectation of how God should act or behave towards us in this situation. And the problem is is that our assumptions have caused us to doubt the provision and power of God to do what's best on our behalf. And it's to this end that Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. You see, on one end, Jesus is saying, I need you to pay attention to eternity. But on the other end, I think Jesus is presenting a rhetorical question that if God is the one that has given you life, can't you trust him to sustain that life? If God gave gave us bodies, surely we can trust him for garments to clothe those bodies. If God gave us life, can't we trust him with the things necessary to support that life? And I know some of you might be thinking, but if God is so good, then why? And we have to be really careful about asking the right questions in the right context, because just because God is good doesn't absolve humanity of its bad, God isn't falling short on his commitment to us. We need to realize that humanity has broken its covenant with God, and that is why Jesus has come to make the covenant right, to put us into right relationship with God through his life. But we have a part to play on our journey of faith, and this is where Jesus gives us practical clarity with what he says next. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? This is genius, but I think that we can read and get this wrong. When we read this, we can, we can think, how is it that this is true, God? Because right now in my life, I feel like I'm struggling it feels like I'm fighting for my finances. It doesn't seem like I ever have enough. My relationships seem to be failing. Every day is a struggle, day in, day out. And if this is true, if you take care of your creation, why doesn't it feel like you're taking care of me? And I, re- I remember growing up, and my parents and my grandparents would tell me this one phrase that I hate. I hated to hear it. I was so annoyed with it, the early bird gets the worm. You See? You hated it too. (laughs) What were they saying? That those who act promptly and seize opportunities in life are more likely to succeed or benefit. Our parents were trying to teach us that being proactive, industrious, hardworking, and taking early action can lead to advantageous and favorable outcomes. The phrase was used to encourage us to be diligent, to start tasks or projects early, to take advantage of timely opportunities. Metaphorically, the worm for us means work. And this is important. Because the bird finds provision as it works. Don't miss this. It's not worrying about provision. It's going out and doing the work that allows the bird to to find the provision that God has placed and provided for its life. And it's so simple, but in a consumeristic culture, is it possible that we have more than enough and it is our excessive desire for more of more than enough that has caused us to have less than enough of what we need because we keep selling out to what it is that we want? Is it possible that our life has not been a result of God's lacking provision? It's a result of a lack of my unintentional living. In other words, we didn't plan to fail, but we did fail to plan. This is good. God loves us so much And has provided so much to us and yet we live with worry and anxiety because we have corrupted our ways and impaired the substance, the provision that God has given to us to steward because we are so unintentional about how we live our lives. And at some point, we need to come to the recognition, we need to be willing to acknowledge that God is not the problem. I am. We have not worked on our end, with the wisdom and discipline or intent that God has enabled us to live by. The point that Jesus is making is not that the birds do not work, it's that they do not worry. There is no anxiety in their life concerning provision. They're not straining to see a future that cannot be seen or seeking to find security in things that are stored up or accumulated against an unforeseen future. But they do work hard and intelligently every day as God created them to do. And this is personal for me. I've grown up in church my entire life and often I mistakenly thought that faith alone with righteous living and prayer would tap me into the power and provision of God. That if I had that mindset, if I was living my life that way, I I just assumed that all things would work together for good for them that love the Lord. That God will have his will and work his way throughout my life. And I didn't realize to what you would think, come on, how did you not realize that? I did not realize God does not provide what we are not preparing for. God does not provide what we are not preparing for. I was too busy playing in the present rather than presently preparing so that when things fell through the crack and life wasn't turning out the way I anticipated, I was frustrated with God, I was confused in my faith, and I realized I was wasting my present life. The things worth having in life work off of a principle of sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping are, guess what? Hard, deep, consistent work. Work. It requires intentional living. I pray because it depends on God, but I have to work as if it depends on me. I pray because it depends on God, but I have to work as as if it depends on me. And too many of us live our lives banking off of our future rather than investing in our present and wonder why we're so bankrupt within our life. This is a, a spiritual and a physical problem. We live our lives physically and spiritually in debt, spending in our present what we don't have by banking on a future that might not come or a future promise that has not yet been experienced because we overinflate our present potential and underestimate the power of patient work. And we do this with our faith. When we live off of yesterday's blessings, yesterday's prayers, rather than working today for God, give me my daily bread. When I open up your word to be in relationship with you, not to just check off, I did the right thing. That's not wisdom. It's poverty and bondage, and we experience it spiritually and physically. And this is why Jesus emphasizes it again. Why are you anxious about clothing? My anxiety, my excessive care reveals what it is that I value. Jesus is saying life on earth is short and you can't take anything with you when it ends. He is trying to teach us that what we value will become what we prioritize. And if we value the world's priorities more than we value God's priorities, we will naturally be anxious about the things of this world like food, clothing, and stuff because our money, health, reputation, and relationships are valuable to us, but we're threatened because we love it and we know it has an expiration date. And Jesus says, remember my worry, anxiety, and, excess, and excessive care. Your worry, anxiety, and excessive care reveal how your heart views God. And it provides a window into my heart to see what it is that I truly value. And when our hearts align with God's value, the way that we view the dangers around us shift we see them differently we view each day differently death discomfort dire circumstances don't have the same sting in light of god's eternal perspective when we align ourselves to god's values we understand what is most important and how to live out the life that jesus that god created for us and that jesus ushers in and then jesus pushes us to consider the last thing do you trust god Do you trust God? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. People who don't know God seek after all of these things and it doesn't bring them security. And guess what? Your heavenly father knows. He already knows that you need all of those things. He knows what it takes, what it requires to sustain the life that you have but what we value reveals where we build and place our trust because our value reflects the deepest conviction and priorities of our heart. This is, Jesus is layering and wrapping his teaching on itself over and over and over and over again because he's saying if you would follow what you feel rather than being intentional about how you live, you will end up in places you never expected. Worry, anxiety, and excessive care reveal where we place our trust. When we hold on to something as valuable, we invest our time, our energy, our resources. And when we do that, what we're demonstrating is that thing that we trust it, that person, that thing to bring about some kind of fulfillment or security or success for our life to fill up that hole that we know that we have. And our values are governed by our heart, it's what guides our decision making, it's what shapes our actions. It's what's indicating where we place confidence and reliance. And so, by examining what we value, Jesus is saying you can see where you have placed your trust and what is driving your choices and behaviors day in and day out. Because what you value is where you are building and placing trust. And what is the opposite of anxiety? It's trust. The opposite of anxiety is trust and this is why Jesus is landing here because trust is saying, God, I will put my confidence in you that you have my life in your hands as I do my part well, you will always come through on your behalf. How do we address the anxiety, the worry and the excessive care in our life? This is what Jesus says. But seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Jesus is pushing us. Would you be willing to take God at his word that he has your best interest in mind and he knows what you need? And instead of you striving to make things happen for yourself, instead of you putting you first, would you be willing to reorient your life around God and put him first and see how when you put him first, everything else will fall into its proper place? He's challenging us That if your heart would beat after my heart, your world will become so much bigger, so much better, so much richer, richer than you could have ever imagined because following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. And all faith, no matter how big or how small, has access to the same Savior. This life is a fatal condition. Why are we working so hard to attempt to preserve the things in this life that will ultimately fade and neglect the thing that is gonna last forever, our soul? You know, and it's reasonable. It's reasonable to be consumed with life if you don't have a hope that goes beyond this life. It's reasonable, it's reasonable right now if you're in this room and, and you're so consumed with your present living. Jesus understands this but he's trying to separate us from that. When he says, come and follow me, he's inviting us to experience and see the love of God for our lives, which is like a father who perfectly loves his child. Jesus isn't asking you to neglect anything, he's saying prioritize your life appropriately. Put the pursuits of life in their proper perspective and seek God's kingdom by organizing your life around God's vision and God's values. And when you do that, you will begin to live in and live out life and life abundantly. And Jesus is saying, the anxiety that you face, the worry that you have, the excessive care for self, success for things is temporary. Those things won't last but if you would be willing to view your world with me one day at a time, leave each day as it comes, work hard as if working for God, trusting that some of the success that he gives you for the day, he will help you see the provision that he has for your life. Be driven by love for him. Be driven to carry out his kingdom that's unfolding in us, around us. Worry and anxiety only wear out the mind and the body. You know how exhausting it is. So many of us walked into this space today and we're so tired and it's not that you didn't get enough sleep and it's not that you you haven't really organized your life in a way that it works. It's like you're striving and holding on to so much of you that you've forgotten that the life that you need comes from God, not you. You can't produce it. You can't give yourself the deep rest that you need. You're working so hard to provide for yourself what only God can provide for you. Would you turn back to him? Because following Jesus is not only the way to peace, but to God's power and provision for our lives. Worry and anxiety, care and peace don't come from circumstance, but from the heart. And the question that Jesus is pushing us to ask ourselves is who has your heart? Where are you placing your faith? Because you're trusting in something, in someone. And Jesus is saying, if you would just accept my invitation to come and follow me, if you do what my word says, I will begin to shift your perspective. And the good news is is you can pray, God, I need your help in this. I need you to come alongside me and to help me, to help move my world forward in a way that is working, where I'm not spinning my wheels, where I'm not trying to be self-serving, but where I am being faithful to follow your word day in and day out. Jesus is wanting to experience something more fulfilling, something better. But would you be willing to trust him and do the deep work of aligning and then living out God's word? Because if you would, everything can change. And it's not an overnight process. It ain't gonna happen in a moment. It's going to be day by day. It's painful, it's hard, but it's worth it. Would you be willing to put your trust in him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, God, today. God, there are so many of us, God, who have come into this space today, God, and you've actually drawn us here to you. God, there are so many things happening in our world right now, God, we worry about, we're anxious about, we have no idea what to do. We're so concerned, God, with painting the right picture, excessively caring over certain things, God, usually material things that have, they have no eternal worth. And yet we spend all of this time investing in things that are ultimately shallow, God. And then we wonder, Lord, why our lives feel so bankrupt from the inside out. And God, you've come through Jesus to tell us there's a better way to live. There's a better way to walk, but it's going to require work. Following Jesus isn't just saying, "I accept you, I believe in you." It's then saying, "Now, how do we go to work?" How can I, my life begin to change from the inside out? How can I begin to allow God's spirit to help me enter into relationship, God, with you, that I'm, not, that I'm following your word because I want to. I want to know you more. I want to know you deeper, God. I want something rich and intimate and fulfilling. God, I know that there's some people, God, in this space, Lord, right now who have never said yes to following you. But if, if they were honest, they've come to the end of their line. And right now in this moment, you're just extending an invitation if you would be willing to say, Jesus, I follow you. That would be the first step of everything changing. And then God, I know there's some people, Lord, in this room, we've been following you for a long time. We say we believe in you. But the truth is, God, we are so worried and anxious and striving to solve our own problems that we have forgotten who the source of life is for our life where our provision actually comes from. God, reorient our hearts and our minds right now in this moment that you're reminding us we need to be connected to you. To experience the life, the comfort, the care, the provision, we need to be connected to you. And God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to the daily journey of opening your word of asking you, God, to guide us, to lead us into new life. You're holy and you're worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsacom slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.